0: You're listening to the really useful podcast, the tech podcast for technophobes. If you're not very good with technology, then this is probably the podcast for you as we attempt to break down the things that you need to know and avoid the stuff that you don't need to know that's really just for specialists and nerds. I'm Christian Corley and with me is Megan Ellis. Hi, Megan. How are you doing? Good. Thanks to yourself. Yeah, not bad. It's uh, it's very cold here. I just got in from taking my children to school and uh, we're uh, kind of in the aftermath of Hurricane Chiara, which uh, has um, caused a few problems in the south of England not, um, and the United Kingdom and Wales and Ireland. Uh, not so bad here in the northeast of the country, uh, in my neck of the woods. I wonder where they get the names Of um, well, I don't wonder. I know where they get the names of of the (laughs) storms. It makes me wonder why they choose particular storms or particular names Mm. over others. Because, like, can you? I mean, what would a storm Megan be like? Do you think Um.
1: (laughs) shy, (laughs) avoid (laughs) the ghosts, (laughs) not want to bug anyone, (laughs) maybe just chill on an uninhabited (laughs) island somewhere.
0: Well, I yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I I feel that Storm Christian might be kind of sort of, and this doesn't reflect me, just the name might be somewhat evangelical or perhaps herald of, <laughs> the rap or something. You know, it doesn't feel particularly threatening. Maybe, maybe a, a, a vegan hipster. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't. So some names suit storms better than others. I don't think Kiara particularly suits a storm, but there you go. Uh, how are things going with you? Everything. Great.
1: Um, yeah, pretty pretty good. Busy um maneuvering around <laughs> load shedding, but otherwise good. Okay. It's 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 hot here in South Africa.
0: What does load shedding do?
1: It's basically when our power grid's too um heavily loaded with demand so they need to shed demand um so basically they will do, they call them rolling blackouts, it's basically timed and scheduled um, slots that different neighborhoods have to reduce demand where they switch off the electricity. And sometimes it's used because demand's too high, sometimes it's used for maintenance um, at power stations and stuff, but basically we've reached a point where a lot of maintenance needs to be done and demand is too high. So. We're we're in one of these these periods of load sharing.
0: Interesting, interesting. Okay, so on this week's really useful podcast, we're going to be looking at Steam Link for iOS, play PC games on an iPhone or iPad. Excellent. Uh, YouTube Originals unlocked and Facebook Messenger Kids parental control. We'll be taking a look at a couple of recommendations that you should perhaps check out, and we've got some tips and tricks for you how to improve your mobile speed data. What's the difference between a modem and a router? And should you buy a Chromebook or a tablet? Let's crack on with news of Steam Link for iOS. Now, um, if you're not aware of this, Steam is a digital distribution platform, and most PC owners will have a Steam account and they'll have their games uh, uh, registered with Steam and they can play that. You, you can basically, in, in It's still the case. Now you buy a DVD, you don't even need to install the game from the DVD, you can just install it. Obviously, it would probably be more efficient to install it from the DVD, but whatever, as long as you have the the key for the game. And all manual games can be bought on Steam. Uh, A few months back, it was made available on Android. And that means you can play PC games on your Android device. They're streamed from your PC. There was no iOS version, but now there is an iOS version. Which is good news for iPhone users, and uh, it's also compatible with Apple TV, which is particularly good. So that's that's now there, that's ready, and it's free, which is you know streaming games from your computer to your iPhone or your Apple TV. I think the Apple TV thing's really exciting, um, mm. and that, that's how cool is that? It's just great. I, I love Steam Link, I really do. You know, I've got. Have you got a Steam account?
1: Yes, I do. How many
0: games have you got on it?
1: Too many. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know. It gives me anxiety to look at all the unplayed games.
0: Yeah, I think that there's this thing, isn't there? I don't know whether it's um, it's going to come into more prominence in years as people get older from this sort of generation of buying on Steam. But there's this thing of like people buying games for their retirement that they don't have time to play now. Yeah, so they buy them on Steam. Maybe through Humble Bundle or a Steam offer, or one one you know one of these places that make games available for a very low price. Fanatical is another one, and, and I say, oh, I'm putting this one away for retirement, or, or next time I'm unemployed, I'm going to be playing this. I, <laughs> people end up with these huge catalogs of games on Steam alone. I've got you know I've got at least a hundred games on Steam, and I've only played about twenty of them. I should think it's insane, isn't it?
1: Mm, there's even a tool that lets you know um, how much um, time you'd need to finish all your games in your library.
0: God, I don't want to look at that.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why. Like, I looked at it, and now I'm I'm very hesitant <laughs> <laughs> to buy games because I'm like, you you have like 50 unplayed games.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so Steam Link is now available on iOS. So as long as you have a computer that can run Steam and your iPhone or iOS device is running iOS 10 or higher. And your computer should, for the best results, not necessarily always, but for the best results, either be very close to your router using 5 gigahertz or be physically connected on it, via Ethernet for the best results. Um, so check that out. And you'll need a game controller as well, but uh, there are plenty of controllers for iPhones. You can now watch YouTube Originals for free. Uh, Now, YouTube launched YouTube Originals uh, some time ago. And it's basically original programming from YouTube, but it hasn't done very well. Uh, It was um, produced as a way of enticing views into subscribing to YouTube Red, which has since been rebranded as YouTube Premium. And very few people know about YouTube Originals. I'm guessing that most of the people listening now didn't know about YouTube Originals. I know knew about it, but i would since completely forgotten about them. Um, <laughs> and now they're now free to view if they were released after September 2019, which doesn't say an awful lot about YouTube Originals or YouTube's premium platforms. You know, YouTube Premium is $11.99 a month, which is quite a bit of money to spend on, shall we say mediocre programming I think overall some of it's you know some of it's been well regarded but overall it's it's not been a huge success has it
1: um I don't think so I think also part of that is the way YouTube's fragmented its own um services so I mean you get YouTube premium I don't know if they ended up retiring YouTube red then there's um YouTube music but it's a different offering to google play music Mm. so it fragments a lot of the stuff so i think it's it's harmed it overall because it's confusing and you don't want to have to subscribe to a million different things um it's definitely like i'm excited by the idea of there being youtube originals for free i've been wanting to watch weird city because one of the creators is jordan peele um so um i'm quite excited to see that he comes up with quite cool original ideas and um yeah, there's there's a few nice series going on there, especially with like informational, mini documentary type things. Um, but they have they've been suggesting these originals to me for a while for free. So I don't know if they were just previews or something, but it's definitely something I wouldn't want to pay for just yet. Especially when it's coming from YouTube, it's different when it's an uh, individual creator asking you to subscribe to their Patreon. But when it's a massive <laughs> company like YouTube, it's it's going to be a bit difficult getting people to pay for an extra subscription.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and as you mentioned, the fragmentation is a problem. And I suppose in many ways, it's quite strange that they would actually, kind of voluntarily, fragment mm. in that way when you know it's a huge money maker and. Vast advertising platform within YouTube, and to then offer people the opportunity to subscribe to other material related to YouTube. And then, as you say, there's the YouTube music, and then there's all the other stuff that Google does. And Google obviously owns YouTube. It, it does seem to me to be maybe the best option would be just have YouTube and do all the things that you're doing, but just call it YouTube instead of, yeah. you know. Like you say, fragmenting. Uh, we'll see how that turns out going on. Um, now, Facebook Messenger seems to be something we talk about almost weekly on the really useful podcast. Uh, back in December 2017, Facebook launched Messenger Kids, a standalone version of Messenger designed for children between 6 and 12 to give children access to Facebook before they reach 13 and can sign up for Facebook proper. That, I mean, to me, that sounds like a kind of a feeder project to me. It's like a <laughs> football feeder club. Um, I, don't, I don't like that idea at all. <laughs> Um, Facebook announced a new messenger kids portal last week in a post on about Facebook. This um, improves the way parents can monitor their children's activity while messaging, which um, on one hand normalizes surveillance and on the other hand still gives Facebook a kind of uh, a runway of, of new data in the, Form of children who who will then presumably just click on the join Facebook button when they're thirteen. I'm very uncomfortable about all of this. To be honest with you, Megan, mm,
1: it makes it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies because um, it for me it's like even if you can control the messaging, also who's a six year old messaging? Um, but yeah. Another thing is that it seems very geared towards building an advertising profile, a data profile of a child before they enter the kind of free fall market that is Facebook and online. So I know um, even the way I've seen people markets algorithms and AI and smart toys and stuff, advertisers are interested in building these profiles on children um, so that when they become consumers, they have this massive track record already. So for me, this, just makes me uncomfortable but then also again like who's a 10 year old messaging (laughs) even a six year old like I I don't know what kind of conversations they can really have with other children like hi what you doing watching I don't know Paw Patrol what do six year olds watch um so I I don't see a proper use case for it and then also the fact that
0: it's definitely used to harvest
1: data on them
0: Yes. So, um, I mean, you know, they've done that. They have released that. They maybe done it to make it uh, a bit more enticing, perhaps. Um, mm. But, I mean, I don't know anyone who's been using it. I, they may be using it without mentioning it to me. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, Messenger Kids, I mean, really, probably steer clear, I would think. And if you heard that, that's part of the window for it can storm. Chiara, you may have heard uh, <laughs> echoing along the uh, chimney breast. It's recommendations time. This is a section of the Real Useful podcast where myself and whoever's guest hosting with me this week offers a great link to a website or a YouTube channel or a Twitter account to follow or any anything like that, which might interest our listener. A recommendation for you to check out. Uh, I'm going to let Megan go first this week.
1: Well, in keeping with the YouTube originals theme, <laughs> um, a really cool series to watch is called uh, Glad You Asked on YouTube. It's created by Vox, um, the publisher. But the Glad You Asked um, series is specifically a YouTube original series and it answers like strange questions, but also, um, yeah, it's just stuff people wonder about. So if I'm just looking at their first season, it's things like Will we survive Mars? Why do we cry? Why do memes matter? Um, is beauty culture hurting us? And they're most of them are about twenty minutes or so, and they look at um, interview different experts. And it's basically these members, uh, team members um, from the Glad you Asked team, go out and investigate different opinions on it and speak to people who might be involved in certain in- industries and aim to provide a well-rounded question. So. I definitely think um, it's useful if you're into finding out knowledge, exploring different topics. Um, it's it's definitely got a great thing going. There's 10 episodes so far, and hopefully there'll be other seasons coming.
0: Excellent. So, uh, And that and every other thing that we talk about in a really useful podcast you'll find in the show notes. So if you're interested in that, um, just head to the show notes and click Megan's recommendation. Mine is the YouTube channel, again, um, of... <laughs> Peter McKinnon uh, now he teaches about photography and cinematography and does video vlogs, vlogs, and he has really good tips and tricks for photography and um, I found it really useful for um, over the years for um, helping to produce video reviews for make use of um, so, so some really good tips and tricks in there uh, clever little things that you can do to get motion into otherwise static video shots and also, I suppose, motion into static snaps as well um, or the impression of motion. So, yeah, there's some really good tips in there. So, again, head to the show notes uh, to find the way to Peter McKinnon's YouTube channel. There's a ton of really good tutorials in there. We will move on. (laughs) Mobile data speed. Compiled by a colleague, Ben Stegner, who will be along in a couple of weeks on the really useful podcast. Eight steps to speeding up a slow mobile data connection. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly. Uh, Tip one is restart your phone. Tip two, change locations. I mean, move around, go to another part of the building, another part of the town or location where you are, because there might be natural barriers blocking the signal. Uh, number three, update and disable apps. There's some apps that could be causing a problem. Number four, disable data saver low data mode. This is a big problem for data usage. If you're trying to use data or get a good signal, if you're slowing your data down or you're capping it, then data saver is going to be controlling that. You know, the other flip side of this is, of course, that you might end up spending beyond your cap. So be careful. Number five, disconnect from your VPN because a VPN can slow things down. Number six, check for network outages in your area. A website such as Down Detector can help here. Number seven, reset your phone's network settings, which can also help. Uh, It depends on uh, what platform you're using, how you do that. So check the article for the exact steps. Again, it'll be in the show notes. Number eight, pull and insert your SIM card again. Be careful doing that because some SIM card slots also have a micro SD card, so you don't accidentally drop that or whatever. You can also call tech support. My own personal tip, which I would add to that, is to change mobile networks completely, which is what <laughs> I did recently. <laughs> and now I have excellent reception almost everywhere compared to before. Um, what's mobile um, data and reception and speeds like in your neck of the woods, Megan?
1: Um, they're decent. I don't think they're as fast as in the UK, but, um, there's a lot of more freedom. I definitely think. Um, I mean, currently I don't really experience that many network outages, but there, there sometimes are issues. Um, and I currently run a dual SIM setup. So if one is giving me an issue, I just switch to the next SIM card and that usually fixes things. So I think on Monday, no, today's Monday <laughs> on Friday <there> was <laughs> a network outage. Um and yeah, I just switched over to the next one. Sometimes even just cycling between them can can help if yeah, signal's not good. Um but yeah, it's decent speeds. We're currently on four G. Um Yeah, and decent coverage as well, but we do only have it's four providers? Um, overall. So and and three of them currently have quite like consistent coverage and everything.
0: Okay. Well, that's not too bad. Uh, I'm not sure how many providers we have in the UK these days. Uh, it seems to... Yeah, it's probably five or six I should think.
1: Mm, I'm, yeah, I'm we have a this. very um, like closed down type <laughs> thing. Um, you need special permits from government basically because yeah. we have a mixed economy so it's not like it comes with like almost like T's and C's <laughs> and stuff. So we do actually tend to have quite good rollout with signal. We don't have the issues where companies are like, well, it's not viable um, because we tend to, one of the providers is a government owned provider. So they laid down a lot of the um, infrastructure and then others can piggyback off of that infrastructure um, so that definitely helps a lot. And it's probably also why things are a bit more consistent in terms of service, like um, features and that
0: type of thing. Okay. Okay. So uh, so that's that. Now, how do you connect your set-top box, your smart TV, your computer to the Internet? Are you using a modem or are you using a router? Are they the same thing or are they different? Megan.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> even though we tend to use the terms interchangeably, they are definitely different things. Um, but most most homes now have a combined device, yeah. which is why we tend to use them interchangeably. But when it comes to getting into like the nitty-gritty bits of your network or Fixing certain issues, you you do need to know the difference between the devices. So, modem is basically what gets your home connected to the internet because it's basically like a translator or a converter between the signals from your digital um, network at home and your ISP. Because the ISP signal will be whatever kind of internet type it is, be it cable, um, landline. LTE, that type of thing, and your modem will then convert the signal which your your digital devices can't read and um, basically provide access to the internet by making it a compatible signal and vice versa. So that's where the name comes from is <laughs> modulator demodulator, <laughs> and that's what the modem is. Whereas, and and technically, if you only have one device you want to connect to the internet, so you, just your PC, you could technically get away with just having a modem um, and plugging in via LAN cable or even connecting via Wi-Fi to your modem. Um, but because most homes have multiple devices, that's where the router comes in. And the router essentially routes the signals <laughs> around your home network. It creates the... the Local network. It makes sure data gets to internet data gets to the right devices around your home, and it makes sure that there's there's not like yeah you know, a traffic jam or um, devices aren't disconnecting each other from the network. And technically, again, because the router creates your home network, you don't always need the router um, for like an internet connection. If you just wanted your router to connect your PC to your printer. Um, you could use it for that thing and just use an isolated home network and not do anything with the Internet. Um, so there are two different de- devices. Most um, devices nowadays have our combined devices and things like our smartphones and our tablets, um, especially if they connect directly to like an LTE or mobile provider, they will have built-in modems and routers yep. in them depending on their capabilities. Um, But it is important when you're renting devices to know what's out there, what could be creating a bottleneck, what you need to upgrade. So if you've got too many devices in your home, it doesn't help to go buy another modem and stuff. That's where the router comes in or expanding router capabilities. Um, So that's what the the main importance is for the everyday user to, to know the difference and also don't... You don't have to always buy two separate devices. You can get them combined depending on you know your needs. So um, it's just about being a bit more critical of what you're getting, not just taking whatever your ISP suggests and having a better understanding of how your home connects to the internet.
0: To summarize, a router and a modem are separate, but they're usually used in single combined form uh, if you get your hardware from an ISP. But as, as Megan said, there's um, lots of different variations of what you can do with it and depends on how your home is laid out and what requirements you have from your hardware in your home and getting them online. Uh, we'll move on to Chromebook versus tablet, which is right for you. I will be honest, I have never felt the urge to buy a Chromebook. However, I know that I am maybe not in a minority, but there are people who think differently about this. Chromebooks are obviously um, laptops that run Chrome and tablets typically run android or ios or in some cases they'll run windows but which would you choose well it's based on really what you're expecting to get out of your device chromebooks and tablets are both pretty portable they're often largely around the same size although some chromebooks are very high-end and really expensive The peripherals is also an issue. A Chromebook comes with a trackpad as well as a keyboard, whereas the tablet probably won't, although it might come with a stylus, but then you might also have a stylus with a Chromebook if it has a touchscreen. So, again, that depends. The number of apps that are available, if you're getting a tablet, then you know what apps are going to be available depending on which uh, store ecosystem you're using. Android tablets will have access to Google Play Store. iPad, access to the app store. Chromebooks are limited to apps from the web store, the Chrome Web Store, and some apps from Google Play. If you get in a tablet, you're gonna have a bigger selection of apps. That doesn't necessarily mean better apps, that just means a bigger selection of apps. Chromebooks generally last for about 12 hours, battery, whereas a tablet can last much longer than that, possibly even 12 twice as long, although it depends on usage. Performance between the Chromebook and the tablet, will differ. Some Chromebooks, as I say, are high-end, and they run on Intel processors, like a PC. But then if you're going to buy a Chromebook that runs on that type of processor, why not just buy a laptop that runs Windows or a MacBook? And then you get the full usage of a developed operating system and the full range of apps that are available. As ter- In terms of value, you can get Chromebooks as low as $159, top-end ones, and... Uh, cost costs you about $1,000, but pretty much the same is for Android tablets. You can get Android tablets that cost around $200 or less. If you're thinking about an Amazon Fire 7, don't think about an Amazon Fire 7. <laughs> it is not a productive tablet in the slightest. Uh-huh. Um, or you could pay $800 for an iPad Pro. Uh, my Samsung, which is, Megan, you'll be pleased to know my Samsung tablet has been repaired. Yeah. Um, yay. <laughs> uh, and that was a £700 tablet. So that's, that's in that sort of $1,000 sort of area. So it really depends on what you want, what you expecting, what productivity expectations you have, what life um, of the battery you have mm-hmm. expectations of, and really how you want to use the device in the end. There is no clear winner, although I would be erring towards a tablet. What about you?
1: I think it depends on, on what you, you want to use it for. So if it's about viewing media and ebooks and comics, digital comics, then for me, a tablet would always be a winner. But if it's about productivity, then for me, it would be a Chromebook, usually just because the, the tablets, when you have to buy the keyboard as an accessory, often that keyboard can be $100 just by itself. Um, Sometimes it costs <laughs> like almost as much as the tablet. And um, for me, that's where it loses a lot of value um, for money because you're trying to turn it into something like a cheap laptop, but you're paying quite a premium just on the keyboard functionality. Um, but, yeah, again, it, it depends on what you need. it. If, if for some reason, again, like Windows comes at a premium in your country, then you may want to look at a Chromebook Instead, um, for on-the-go kind of working and what word processing and that kind of thing. But I do know Windows has recently pushed a um, Windows in like Africa and Windows in Asia kind of initiatives to make their laptops cheaper um, Mm -hmm. for people in developing countries, so that they pirate the the software much less. But um, yeah, a Chromebook, uh, it's definitely like if you were going to, if you were looking for a budget laptop and a budget laptop is what your kind of needs are, neither is really suitable for things like gaming and yeah, your own work style. Because I found, for example, like no matter how large my tablet is, I struggle without a keyboard to, to write at the same rate and that yeah. type of thing. And that's when it comes to productivity. Something with a keyboard would help, and often yeah you know, even budget laptops are quite expensive um and then what you're getting for the same price in in a tablet like you when you mentioned with the the fire tablet, like sure, it's budget, but it's it's productivity can be heavily limited by the OS as well. so I recently bought a a fire tablet and just the amount of ads and stuff in the fire os and <laughs> like really limits productivity because you're only downloading from the um amazon store and i found like okay i can't use this for anything more than viewing ebooks or media and that type of thing and even then it can sometimes hamper things by like all the the kind of hurdles you have to jump over whereas a laptop like chrome OS, you know exactly what you're getting. Um, and yes, it's again more limited than something like Windows, but you'll still be able to do your like productivity types of things, access docs, anything you can do in your Chrome browser, you can basically achieve on Chrome OS.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd likely um agree with most of that. I think with uh with tablets and keyboards, the best tablet keyboard I have used is on a surface. Mm. Um that I reviewed some years ago for make use of. And it was a really, really good keyboard. It was at least as good as the laptop keyboard that I use now. I was really impressed with it. I really wanted to keep it. Um <laughs> and um on the other hand, I do find if I'm I'm but if I'm on the road, then basically my I use the laptop until the battery runs out and then swap to the tablet. Mm. In most cases, I'm usually okay with that. I often don't end up with a tablet. If I do end up with a tablet, then I basically have to stop self-editing and just let everything come out and not worry about typos because there are going to be typos when typing on mm. the tablet. Um, it doesn't matter whether I use this touchscreen, which is a nice keyboard, or I have a little portable um, Bluetooth keyboard that folds up, that I mm-hmm. carry in my bag to me, and that spreads out nicely. You can start typing on that, but yeah, obviously there's the whole keyboard adjustment thing. You know, you're swapping keyboards and you adjust mm. to using a different keyboard. It's a little bit smaller. Ah. Uh, but yeah, if you've got a platform that you can just run the productivity apps on like you can with a Chromebook, then yeah, I'd agree. Although I, d- I cannot understand anyone just a $1,000 on a Chromebook.
1: Oh yeah, no, this is definitely looking at the more budget range yeah. because if I'm, I'm buying a lot, like if I'm buying an expensive laptop, I'm buying a Windows <laughs> laptop just because of the kind of um, freedom <laughs> outside hmm. of the Chrome OS ecosystem. And it's even, I mean, with... a a cheap Chromebook isn't going to perform as well as an iPad pro in terms of running apps and that type of thing. So it definitely depends on your budget. Um, and you're know, like comparing apples with apples. So look at the price range and what you get for it. Um, it's definitely, and, and what you're going to use it for.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to move towards wrapping things up now. Um, now we do have a new feature on the really useful podcast, which is looking at current giveaways at makeuseof.com. And there's nothing new at the moment that wasn't there last week. So you can still enter the competition to win the Doogee S95 Pro. I think by the time this podcast goes live, you'll still be able to enter the competition for the Insta360 R Twin Action Cam, which is also modular. Um, I think the Space 3D printer giveaway will have ended. However, I am working on a review at the moment for a device called the Vava 4K UHD Wi-Fi dash cam it's a Wi-Fi dash cam and it's really really cool and uh, so the um, I'm expecting the video for that to be live next week so we can talk about that a little bit next time but you know, keep your eyes out for that because it's, really, it's probably the best dash cam I've used really impressed with it that's it, you've been listening to the really useful podcast from Makusov and Christian Corley, big thank you Megan Ellis for joining us this week thanks for having me and we'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye.